I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my gag And today we are going to be discussing the second episode of Season 5 of Supernatural titled Good God, Y'all. Jamie, what did you think? Good God, Y'all. This was an episode. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but like, maybe I'm just like biased. But like, last week's episode, I know objectively it wasn't boring, but it felt boring. Yeah. I know objectively this episode wasn't boring, but it felt boring. Like, yeah. it just... Things happened, mm-hmm. and, like, I really love that we get, like, Ellen and Joe back. I've been missing them. I love mm-hmm. also that the explanation they give for why Ellen and Joe haven't been there is that Dean and Sam haven't called. Yeah. And to that, <laughs> I would like to say, also, Ellen and Joe could have called the brothers. Like, yeah. it goes both ways. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you never called. It's like, well, did you You also never called. Yeah. Actually, like, I had a note. I was said, like, Ellen and Missouri would be besties. <laughs> Like, both yeah. of them are as pissy about, like... Because, like, that whole thing with Missouri being, like, don't you boys be strangers? And then they, like, never fucking contact her. And, like, Ellen's, like, whole thing about, like, you know, what are you allergic to giving me peace of mind? I was, like, literally Ellen and Missouri. In my headcanon, they're besties. But also, like, at any point, Ellen could have reached out. Yeah, exactly. Like, especially considering the last time we saw Ellen, like, she was pretty pissy at the boys. Mm-hmm. Like, the boys probably just didn't realise that Ellen would be open to seeing them again. Because she was, like, pretty, like, rightfully pissed, I would say. Like, after all of the shit that goes down, Mm -hmm. like... And then she loses the roadhouse and, like... Like, don't get me wrong. These boys are emotional repression boys. Like, yeah. (laughs) But also, let's recap here. The last time they saw Joe, she almost died because I'm pretty sure that was born under a bad sign. Yeah. Where Sam, possessed by Meg... Nearly killed her. Nearly killed her. Yeah. Like, tortured her and, and almost thoroughly her. traumatized her. And thoroughly traumatized her. And the last time we see Ellen, the roadhouse has just burned down because of the brothers. Yeah. Like, directly because of the brothers. Ash is dead. Ash is dead. And they bloody open the portal to hell. Yeah. They've not got a great track record. <laughs> and so, like, I feel like Ellen and Joe rightfully have reasons to be pissy mm-hmm. because... Knowing the brothers has put them in very real danger. And so I can understand why repression boys, Sam and Dean, were not like, hey, let's reach out to these people who we've only known for like maybe two years at this point. And also who last time we interacted with them, both of them almost died. They've got reason to believe that they're not on like great terms right now. Yeah. So you can say what you want, but also like at the end of what, like the season two finale was the last time we saw Ellen. Yeah. Like, I don't think Ellen, like, goes, oh, like, I want to be clear here. Like, I don't blame you. I'm still on your side or anything like that. Yeah. Like, she doesn't specifically say, make sure you call or anything like that. Like, like Missouri, who they also ignore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Missouri, I think, is fully justified because last time they interacted with Missouri, they didn't almost kill her. Yeah. Like, in fact, she saved them. Yeah. It's the same as, like, Pam. Like, they interacted with Pam. And she was blinded. Mm -hmm. Like, I would understand if they didn't call Pam again, but then they did. Twice more. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just the writers trying to cover up the fact that they forgot Joe and Ellen existed. Yeah. Look, we do also get Rufus back, though. Yes. I do love Rufus. But Rufus hasn't been as long, and he didn't... Like, the boys weren't as close to Rufus. Yeah. Like, he only met Dean, revealed some stuff about Bella, and then... That was it. Yeah, revealed that he knew about Bella's ears. Yeah. I think was the... <laughs> was the takeaway there. I fully understand what uh, you say when you say this episode's kind of boring. Like, objectively, stuff happens. It's not necessarily a boring episode, but it's just like... I don't know, it just feels kind of boring to watch. I think that 
the function of this episode is so like yeah. we know what the a plot is we know that the a plot is the apocalypse that was basically set up by the entirety of season four the season four finale and then the first episode of season five i feel like this episode was to set up the b plots yeah so do you remember in the first episode of season three the magnificent seven and we were talking about how yeah. it felt like they'd wasted the opportunity yeah. of the seven deadly sins and i was saying we do get a different like group mm. That is spaced out and you get the to know them better. And you guessed, you're like, oh, like the four horsemen. And I was like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. This is where that sort of starts. So yeah. the horsemen will come up as antagonists throughout this yeah. season. Well, I mean, they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, it makes it's sense. a B plot that ties directly into the A plot. The a it plot. is not, like, because the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it is tied to the A-plot, but only kind of tangentially. Yeah, and they basically got rid of them in the one episode. Yeah. So it was like... It's like, why would you use basically. the Seven Deadly Sins there at all? Like, you could have done any Anything. random demon. But having, like, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse is really interesting, and, like, they are spaced out through this season, yeah. and I really enjoy a lot of the plots that they do regarding the Horsemen. And it's also just the significance of seeing the Horsemen. You know, we've met War here. We might uh-huh. meet Famine over there, and then we'll meet... So the other two are Pestilence and Death. Yeah, and then we'll meet Death over there, and then, oh no, now War and Death are together. And like, and so we're sort of seeing them, like, all combine forces, because the whole point of the apocalypse, typically when you've got the four horsemen of the apocalypse, yeah. is the apocalypse happens when all four horsemen are together. And it's sort of about them all joining forces to end the world. Or at One, least coming together to, like... Enjoy yeah. the ending of the world, I yeah. suppose. One horseman, one horseman of the apocalypse by itself is not an issue. It's when you've got all four of them together that it's like, oh no, that's the apocalypse. I would argue one of them by themselves, as proved by this episode, is in fact no. kind of a problem. <laughs> but, but yes, I see what you're in saying. In terms of scale of severity, it's yes. like you can deal with one horseman of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. When all four are together, you know shit is fucked. I, I did have a question regarding war. Did you figure out before they explained that it was war? Did you pick up on the fact that it wasn't demons and that they were hallucinating? I did think it was weird that they were pitching demons like they were. So I I didn't necessarily think it was demons. Mm. I didn't pick up that it was specifically war. Yeah. Like that was not like a plot twist that I predicted ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But I was, I I was thinking there's something kind of funky about these demons. So I was thinking maybe it's something more along the lines of like Croatoan or something like that. Yeah. Like a demon virus versus actual demons. And then when we get Joe say the line, you black-eyed bitch, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, no, like, no one's a demon here. Like, either it is a demon making them all hallucinate a whole bunch of demons, Mm -hmm. or, like, there is no... Because they're they're seeing each other as demonic without actually... The reason I ask is because I do think, like, obviously I went into it knowing what the twist was, but I think... Once you're aware of it, it is really interesting and obvious what they've done because we get a lot of examples of them doing things where we have a very, very consistent reaction to these actions. Like, for example, when Sam kills the people in the shop, first of all, he straight up is just murdering actual people there. But when he stabs them with the knife, there is no sound effect that we normally get. There is no flickering gold thing that we normally get. And that's why I thought maybe it's like in Croatoan or something where it's like there are there are more people than, than yeah. demons, so it's like, okay, yeah. And also, I have a couple of questions. Yeah. Okay, they're both about Sam. Okay. So the first one is, he's standing there, he's slain the quote-unquote demons. demons. He's thinking about drinking the blood. Mm-hmm. What would have happened if he had drunk the blood? Because they're not demons. This is a question that I have as well, because I'm like, like placebo? And like, because we had that whole line from Ruby in the season four finale where she says, 
you didn't need the feather to fly, Dumbo. You had it inside you the whole time. And I'm like, yeah. does Sam actually need the blood? Mm. Or does he just think he needs, he needs the blood? Is it the difference between, like, we've talked about demon bloods and steroids before. It's like, you can still get that strong without the steroids. Yeah. The steroids just expedite the process. Could he be that powerful by just working at it? Working at it. But it's like the steroids just accelerate that exponentially. Like, mm-hmm. how buff is Sam actually? I don't have too much else to add on that, so I want to go to my second question that I have uh-huh. about Sam, which is when Ellen first sees the two brothers, she splashes Dean with the holy water, uh-huh. which is lube. We know this. Ha, ha, ha. Very funny. We're moving yes. on. She doesn't splash Sam. I had the same note. What would have happened if she had thrown the holy water at Sam? Because Sam is part demon. Arguably, Sam is the only demon in that town. Do you know what's interesting? Because I I don't think the horseman's actually a demon. I think he's something else. No, he's like a different entity of himself. So I had a note which was, she doesn't splash Sam. Any excuse to throw lube at Jensen, LMAO. Because it always is Jensen who gets splashed in the face with that. It's like almost never Jared. Anyway, obviously later in this episode, we do have both Rufus and Joe trying to exercise the demon or whatever out of Sam or torture the information out of Sam, who they think is a demon. The holy water does just kind of roll off him the same way that it rolls off just normal people because he's not possessed. So I don't think that it is going to have a particular impact on him. But we did talk about this like a while back in terms of like, does salt kind of annoy Sam, like irritate him? You know, is that why he likes Mm -hmm. the low sodium diet? And so I wonder if maybe like it is a little bit uncomfortable for him, but not in the way that it would like actually hurt a demon. It probably also helps Sam's case that he hasn't had any demon blood in a while. Like because he basically he was got cleansed. Magically detoxed and he hasn't had anything since. So he's essentially at his normal base level of demon blood that he yeah. had throughout the first two seasons before he starts drinking the fucking shit. Well, first three seasons actually. Yes. He doesn't start until like season mid- four. Yeah. Yes. He starts b- between the end of season three and the start of season four. So I think it'd be really interesting if we had this episode when he was drinking demon blood Mm. and the holy water and the salt did have an impact on him. That is really interesting. And do you know what? This is actually something that we are going to be able to talk about seasons from now under a different context. But like the whole idea of like the percentage of human versus demon blood and then the effectiveness of various like things like salt, like demon traps, like these things like how they affect an individual based on the like ratio of blood stuff is something that we can talk about later. So it does like by canon have an impact. We just never really see it in terms of Sam specifically. Okay. I have one more question. Mm -hmm. It's not about Sam. Well, it is kind of tangentially about Sam, but when they're in the hospital with Bobby. Yes. Sam receives a phone call. Yes. And it's from Cass. Uh Uh-huh. I low-key thought it wasn't Cass. I was like, there is no way that is Cass. Because Cass doesn't call <laughs> Sam. Like, I was like, no, this is a trap. Yeah. I have a thought What on do this. you mean Cass is calling? That seems wrong. Especially because we get in this episode, I'm hunted, I rebelled, and I did it all for you. Singular. Singular. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he calls Sam. And I was like, okay, there is no way that's Cass. Like, that is a trap. Mm-hmm. That is not Cass. Cass does not call Sam. (laughs) I have a theory about this. My theory is Dean has just been down to radiology to get the x-rays 
you can't have your phone with you or on. So it's Dean's phone, but Sam's got it. Or because Sam didn't know Dean was in radiology, Dean's got his phone, but it's just off. Yeah. Or it's on silent or whatever because he couldn't have it while he was having his x-ray. So there's like eight missed calls on Dean's phone. (laughs) And at least two dozen texts. Yeah, exactly. Or with terrible use of emojis. 100%. And you know what? You are so backed up by Canon on Cass is a character who enjoys emojis, but doesn't understand how to use them. You're so correct. We, you were backed up by canon on that, and I cannot wait for you to see it. So my headcanon is that the reason that Cass called Sam is because he tried to call Dean, but Dean's phone was off and or not on his person because he was too busy getting an x-ray to look at the Enochian scratchings on his ribs. Honestly, though, the writing on his ribs is kind of gorgeous. Like, yes, I love the it. craftsmanship is gorgeous. I want Sam... To get an x-ray, to see uh-huh. the edging on his ribs. And I want it to be like a single line. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you, you know how it's like when you have like fancy paper or whatever and you're like writing really like nicely and carefully yeah. and neatly and it's so gorgeous. Uh-huh. Right? I want that to be Dean. And then I want Sam to be like when you have a scrap piece of paper and you're like writing something down for a note for later and it is like the messiest shit you've ever seen. Yeah. Like... Like, writing your own shopping list versus writing in, like, a birthday card yeah, or something. Like, yes. Like, I want that to be... Like, I want, like, Dean's to be gorgeous and immaculate and intricate. Uh-huh. And Sam's, Sam's to, to be, be the like... equivalent of, like, a doctor's note. Yeah. Like, <laughs> barely legible. I love that. That is hilarious. I would have loved to see Sam's x In comparison to mm-hmm. Dean's, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do think that would be incredible. While we are on the hospital scene and talking about Cass just generally, obviously the kind of B plot that they've set up for Cass is that he is going to go on a holy mission to track down God. Now, there are a couple of bits about this interaction that I do want to highlight. The first being what you said just before Cass's whole little speech about, I killed two angels this week, my brothers, I'm hunted, I rebelled, and I did it all of it for you. And While you failed. daring directly at Dean yeah. and he's not even five centimeters I away from know. his face. I know. To the point where he continues and you failed. You and your brother destroyed the world and I lost everything for nothing. And then he motherfucking whispers because he is close enough that he can whisper and Dean can still understand every damn word. So keep your opinions to yourself. And I love that for him. I love the energy. It's great. And... I I do want to talk about that for a hot minute because I think the season four finale really didn't give us the opportunity to appreciate the magnitude of the decisions Cass was making. I think that this little bit of monologue really highlights the like, no, no, I put my neck on the line. I gave up literally everything, my family, my connection to heaven, which means he's lost some of his powers. Like he literally cannot heal Bobby because he's rebelled and he's cut off from... And, like, the thing is, if Bobby was just a normal human, he probably could have. But also the thing is, who's to say that the angels haven't put some sort of, like, charm around or block around Bobby? We also had Zachariah's point from last episode being, like, you know, Bobby will never walk again. Exactly. So, So, like, they're not going to make it easy for... Him to be healed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, but I did want to mention that it's really interesting that... First of all, they're highlighting exactly how severe Cass's choice actually is, like the magnitude of that decision Mm. that he's made. And also the fact that he will not hear criticism about it from Dean specifically, but also that, yeah, he's cut off from heaven. So he is not at his full potential in terms of powers. 
Obviously, we've also got the limitation now of he has made it impossible for Sam or Dean to be tracked down by normal, just angelic means. Like, he has to use a phone. So they've really, I think, cleverly introduced some limitations to what Cass is capable of. Because if you think about him as a character, he is significantly overpowered, really. Mm -hmm. So they had to, kind of like the cult with the limited bullets, introduce some kind of limitations on him. And I think this is just the way that they found to do it. It's almost like they've switched out limitations, though. Because previously his limitation was his loyalty to heaven. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, we've removed that limitation. And so, like, the flip side is either he's being limited by heaven or he's being limited by heaven, but just in two different directions. Yeah, polar opposite ways. Yeah. Yeah. I do also want to very quickly touch on just Cass in general, who I love and adore, but when he says to Dean, you're planning to kill Lucifer, and Dean's like, yeah, you want to help? No, it's foolish. Like, he's like, no, you're a fucking idiot. What I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to go look for God. Sam and Dean look at him as if he's an insane person for, like, suggesting the existence of God. And I'm like, my dudes, at this point, that's where you draw the line of, like, yeah, we don't believe that? Like, come on. We literally released Lucifer, like, two days ago. Yeah, but God, no. No possible way he fucking exists. He's not in Dad's journal. (laughs) Vampires weren't in Dad's journal either. Exactly. (laughs) And I love the line where Dean says, try New Mexico. I hear he's on a tortilla. And Cass is like, genuinely confused like no he's not on any flatbreads iconic iconic i love him so much i think potentially one of the most important things about the setup of this b plot is Cass borrowing dean's amulet or the samulet as it is affectionately known i do like that they've given it significance i think that's very fun outside of the emotional outside of the emotional and i think it also because it already has the emotional significance attached to it mm-hmm. it's like to also give out like power significance is really fun yeah but on the other hand i just think it's really ugly like <laughs> as a prop i think i thought ugly. you were gonna go with that <laughs> like I, I just think it's ugly you know what i mean like i thought you were gonna go down the route of it's very convenient of them and i mean yeah but like, i understand why it's convenient and i yeah like, it does logically make sense and it also would make sense as to why bobby would have it and then why bobby would give it to sam yeah for a gift and then like I also think it's really fun that Dean has had it this entire time. Like, Dean has had the means to find God this entire time. Like, I think that's crazy. And so what does Cass say? That it burns hot in the presence of God. Yeah. Imagine if he's been in the presence of Chuck's often and he just doesn't notice how hot it's getting (laughs) because he wears it on the outside of Of all all those layers. layers. (laughs) That is so funny. And actually, I think the discussion that they have that leads up to Cass taking it is, like, inherently hilarious because Cass is like, may I borrow it? And Dean's like, no. And Cass is literally like, Dean, give it to me. And then he's like, all right, I guess. Like, it literally takes no persuasion. Though, to be fair, that does lead credence to the whole, like, Chuck is God, but not God at this point. Mm Because you would think if they're saying, like, he would probably notice. Like, it's very funny, the joke of, like, there's too many layers and he can't feel it. Yeah. But, like, also... Genuinely, like... Genuinely, it means that when you're trying to pinpoint at what point does Chuck become God, mm-hmm. the answer is after this. Like, it has to be after this, because otherwise Dean has been in Chuck's presence, not infrequently in the last, like, half a dozen episodes. Yeah. And also, he's very specifically been in God's presence. Like, you know, like, he hasn't been... Like, he's been in the same room. Presumably, Dean he doesn't has- have to be closer than that. Dean has literally grabbed Chuck by the front of his shirt to threaten him (laughs) and it hasn't done anything. Mm -hmm. So, like, you would assume that at this point either the Samulet 
doesn't actually work and Chuck and Cass is wrong. Or Chuck is not God at this point. One of the two. One of the two. I do just have like one other thing that I want to touch on, specifically on Bobby in this episode. I think I mentioned to you in our last recording that Bobby is, he is going to be wheelchair bound. And like in this episode, we do get that specifically confirmed. Yes. Like Cass And we also get him. it specifically confirmed that it's not necessarily his body that's the issue. It's some sort of angelic mojo over him. Quite potentially, yeah. Because they specifically say like the doctors are baffled. Like they can't work out why he's not able to walk. And we get the incredible line from Bobby, enough foreplay, get over here and lay your damn hands on me, which I just think is hilarious, but also very well delivered. Like I think Jim Beaver does a great job with that line. Mm -hmm. And we also get the line at the very end of the scene where he says, when you find God, tell him to send legs, (laughs) which I also love. I also think it's very fun that Dean's idea to cheer Bobby up is to give him a back rub. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I just like, I mean... It's an interesting place for your brain to immediately go. Yeah. (laughs) I do also want to talk about the line, enough foreplay, get over here, lay hands on me. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's just another example in which, like, Dean and Bobby are coded the same. Yeah, actually. Because, like, Dean would say the exact same line. Yeah. And we also get more, like... Bobby coding in Dean in this episode in which he is like hyper he's like no we are not going in there half cocked yeah we are making a plan Mm -hmm. and I think it's just like the stark difference between like Dean's Bobby coding and Sam's John coding coding. like to get like the sort of Dean coded Bobby line of specifically to Cass and (laughs) is really really fascinating yeah so I think it's really interesting that we do get so much explicit Bobby coding of Dean in this episode. Yes. We really see Dean's leadership in this episode. And that is something that is very interesting in terms of like, now we know that Dean is like the Michael sword. And the whole idea is that he is to be possessed by Michael so that he can like lead the charge against Lucifer. Like he is supposed to be in this like leadership kind of position. Mm -hmm. That's his role. But also we have an episode coming up in the next couple that will be really, really interesting to talk about in terms of Dean's leadership and his leadership style, yeah. particularly comparatively with where he is right now. While we're talking about Dean, we also mm-hmm. have to talk about the scene at the very end where he's having a conversation with Sam. Yes. Lovely. Logical segue. We are crushing it today. <laughs> so first up, did they use Dean's theme in this episode at all? No, I knew you okay. were going to ask. That's that is not the I am like, I'm specifically like, every time Dean is emotional, I'm like listening to the music. I'm like... You're like, I'm going to narrow it down by process of elimination. Like, one <laughs> of these fuckers has to be Dean's theme. Okay, that's right. Just wanted to check. But yeah. while we are talking about that scene, Sam says the line, I can't blame Ruby. Babe, you can. <laughs> like, you would be fully justified in blaming Ruby. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I definitely think there's, like, a sense of agency that, like, Sam did choose to do it. Yeah. But also, like, I feel like you can blame Ruby in the same way that you can blame, like, a drug addict could blame the person who who got them addicted addicted to the drug. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. I feel like you can definitely blame both yourself and also Ruby. Yeah. Because without Ruby, you wouldn't even know that drinking demon blood was an option. Because that's not, like, he's not out here (laughs) hunting demons, like oh, I I wonder what demon blood tastes like. Maybe I should taste the blood of this demon that I just killed with the demon knife. Like, that's not what Sam was doing. Like, he would have never had a reason to ingest demon blood 
Unless Ruby yeah. had been like, oh, hey, look, this is like a really easy way that you can get more power to kill Lula. Like, Do you know what is interesting? One thing that we never see is the initial conversation where Ruby floats the possibility of drinking demon blood. And God, to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, like when she first broaches it with Sam, because we only get like him at the point where he's already actively drinking it willingly. Yeah. But like, I'm very interested to know how the fuck she brought that up. And, like, convinced him to try it. Like, once he's had it, I don't think it would have been that difficult to get him to continue to have it. But the initial intake, I'm fascinated to know how that particular conversation would have gone down. Because I can't imagine Sam reacting well to the suggestion. (laughs) But, you know, like, he's like, I can't, I can't blame Ruby. It's like, Mm -hmm. you can. Don't get me wrong. Like, you certainly chose to continue drinking it. But also, Ruby purposefully manipulated you into consuming demon blood. You can't just gloss that fact over. Like, Ruby was maliciously getting you addicted to it for her own purpose. Like, you can still be like, blame yourself for being an idiot and not seeing through her plan. But also... Like, yeah, you she, can't discount her entirely. Like, no, she is not blameless in this scenario. There is a, a ratio here of blame. Yeah. And Actually, I had a note about that as well. And I said, like, Sam is really, like, last episode, we talked about how Sam has really reverted to being, like, honesty is the only policy, uh, last seasons one and two. And he's really leading into that as well, this episode being like, I miss the feeling. I know how messed up that sounds, which means I know how messed up I am. And then he goes on to say, I can't blame the blood, which I guess he can't blame the substance. Like, it in itself is not cognizant. Like, the blood didn't tempt him personally like he was tempted but it wasn't the blood that was like you know yeah it wasn't psychically talking to him like ooh, drink me you know like that's not what happened then he goes on to be like the problem is me and my brain immediately supplied hi (laughs) oh my god snap i was like that it's me hi i'm I'm the problem problem. it's me i was like oh my god the supernatural swifty brain and do you know what's really funny is that i immediately after that song came out on my TikTok started getting edits of like Dean to that song. But I actually think that this is the best match. Like 100%. Like it I, <laughs> is literally quoting the song. I just thought it was hilarious that my brain immediately was like, oh, I know the next line. <laughs> so I just want to mention a line that I absolutely adore. War compares himself to jello shots at a party. Yeah. Which is What a comparison. What an analogy. I love that for him. Social lubricant at its yeah. prime. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I feel like all of the different horsemen are, like, just, like, different flavors of jello shot. Oh, okay. Wait, what's your theory? I have an idea for... I feel like war, war has to be cherry. I was going to say raspberry, but okay. same. We're thinking red, red because of yeah. the... I think, mm-hmm. actually, cherry works better because Dean says, like, the cherry red Mustang. Yeah. And then I haven't met Death yet, but that is the jelly shots that you get that are, like, You've probably never had a jelly shot because you don't drink. No, I've I've been offered them extensively and I always have to justify why I won't have one. For me, when it comes to jelly shots, I feel like death is the one that doesn't taste like a shot. Normally, for me in my brain, when I have a lime jello shot, the lime flavoring is so strong that you can't taste the vodka. Okay. So that is death because you just... You don't understand how alcoholic they are because you can't taste the alcohol. That's a very interesting take. I am going to pose a suggestion that you will come to understand. Yeah. Now, pickle juice Mm -hmm. is not really a thing 
here, but no. I know from various medias that pickle juice seems to be like a thing in the US of A. Like people seem to just like drink it. I don't understand. However, I do think if death was going to be a jello shot flavor or a jelly shot flavor, rather, it would be pickle juice flavored. I don't know if you do pickle juice jello shots, though. I think the salt in the pickle juice would prohibit the oh, jelly solidification. I mean, maybe. I don't really know like what it's inhibits a, gelatin. It's already a thin line with the vodka. Okay. Well, if it is possible for mm. jelly shots to be made pickle juice flavored, then that is my suggestion. But I love the lime analogy yeah. in like the context of like you can't actually taste the, mm. in this analogy, I guess, poison because of the like sugary yeah. coating. Yes. I like that a lot. Do you have any thoughts for pestilence and famine? I don't know why, but famine is orange. Okay. Because I'd rather starve than drink an orange jelly shot. <laughs> okay. Orange is the worst flavor of jelly shot. You can fight me on that, but I'm right. <laughs> I would say that pestilence is tropical fruit punch. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just the vibe I get. I don't have like a solid reasoning for that. Okay. But like. That just feels like the, the vibe. essence. Yeah. The energy that you get. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. While I was sort of tangentially on it. Do you have any like other broader thoughts about the horsemen just generally? I know we kind of touched on it before, but while we're kind of circling back. I don't know. I just sat here this entire episode looking at the dude who was playing war and I'm like, I know here from somewhere. (laughs) That actor feels very familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if I'm thinking of like a different actor in my brain when I think of him. I did IMDB him and there are things that I have seen with him in it. Okay. So it might just be like, you know how like, I don't really specifically remember that character, but the face looks really familiar, so it might just be that, or it might be, I think there's, a, there's like, a different actor who looks very similar. I didn't recognise him specifically, so I'm not going to be much help yeah, there. Okay. Personally, I think I recognise him from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because he was in, like, half a dozen episodes of that, like, and I did watch all of that. So that's probably where I recognise him from. While we're still kind of talking about war, I do want to quickly touch on the quote that he says to Sam. He's sort of, like, analysing Sam as Sam is tied to a chair and literally can't escape. I was waiting for Sam to just, like, break out of the chair because, like, how buff is Sam actually? Yeah, I mean, he's been detoxed, though. Yeah. True. So, how buff is Sam actually? Just, like, normal levels of buff, I guess. And Rufus tied him himself. Really? So, clearly, Rufus knows what he's doing. So, the quote is, You want to be strong, but not just strong. So- stronger than everybody. Good intentions are a slippery slide to hell. And I think that that is, I mean, we kind of already understand the context of like what it's all about, but I do think it's a good quote. And it highlights the fact that, yeah, Sam doesn't just want to be strong. He wants to be stronger than everyone. Like the power that he has is tied to his autonomy and his feeling of like not wanting to be overshadowed. And also if I'm so strong, no one else can hurt. Yeah. I want to go in a different direction with that quote. Please do. Um, I just want like a fun slide into hell. Like, I'm thinking, yeah, but like I'm talking about one of those incredibly elaborate and complex like water slides okay. where you do like the loop de loop and like the spiral mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. all of like you, you know you know the slides I'm talking about like the ones where they build like an indoor water park and uh-huh. it like comes out of the building and goes around and then goes through the building yeah. a little bit and then it goes around. I know the ones you're thinking with like the rainbow colors and stuff uh-huh. and like you're going down like because it's gonna be gay themed as well, obviously. Like, go on a super mega turbo gay hell. Like, mm-hmm. I have a slightly different suggestion. Okay. Going a different route. Same kind of concept. Yeah. Different approach. You know that thing that people do where they get, like, a big tarp and they just run it down a hill and they spray it with a hose and, like, put some detergent on it and then you just, like, throw yourself full body down the slide? 
Oh, you mean a safety hazard? Yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, that, or like, what's that thing where like, basically you just get like an esky lid, like with, or with or, like a chunk of ice and you sit on it yeah. and you just go downhill. That's kind of what more what I'm imagining, like a little bit more chaotic in the sense of like, you're more likely to injure yourself rather than like an actual safety conscious public entertainment business. More just like, hey, we have an empty field and a hose. Do you want to throw yourself down some wet plastic? <laughs> the true Aussie experience. I'm thinking of that person who attached like a small motor to their hill's hoist and like the the string and they made like a circular track around and they were just like spinning around really quickly and then they had to let go at the right time to like shoot themselves. Oh out. my God, yes. Do you remember that? Yes. I forgot about that. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. I have a guess for your PSA. Ooh, go right ahead. All right. My PSA guess for this week is that you should trust your instinct. If something feels off, you should probably take another look. Nah. Oh, all right. I felt really good about that one. (laughs) What's your actual PSA? No, my PSA for the week was actually gather evidence. Uh, Okay. Okay, I'm not right, but I'm also like tangentially, You're tangentially relatable. Right. Because the issue they all got into were they were they were looking at it as like, oh well, we have this evidence that supports it, the hallucination of the black eyes, mm-hmm. and they were so fixated on the black eyes that they ignored all of the other signs that these people were not possessed. They you let their biases guide them. They yeah. let their gut reaction of, oh, these people are possessed because they have black eyes. Yeah, they had this preconceived notion and then they were so invested in it that they refused to deviate regardless of the other information that was being presented to yes. counteract the original like diagnoses, I suppose. So you always got to make sure that, yes, this is your gut reaction, mm-hmm. but do the research and make sure you are open to conflicting information because otherwise you'll be so blinded by what you think is true that you'll miss the actual truth. That's some great PSA. Science PSA this week. <laughs> we know we love some demon science. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to talk about what, for me, is the biggest letdown of the week. Oh, okay. Which is, I was sitting there and I was looking, because I've started looking at who writes the episodes, like mm-hmm. the names that flash up. I saw Sarah Gamble and all I thought was Sarah Gamble Longcom. I don't think we got any more evidence for the Sarah Gamble Longcom and I am so disappointed. What is so funny about that is that we absolutely did get evidence for the Sarah Gamble long con, but not in a way that I was expecting and not in a way that you could understand. However, it is not spoilery, so I can explain it to you. Share with me my own theory. Okay. So it is not strictly angel related. However, it is heaven related. So when they enter River Pass, Colorado, they drive up to the bridge that's been destroyed. I am 99.9999% certain that that motherfucking bridge is the one they use in the finale of the series. The bridge. The bridge. Capital T, capital B. The, the bridge. The cars and dogs and Dean go to heaven, but Cass does not go to the bridge. I am motherfucking certain it is the same fucking the bridge. They killed Kansas off to perform Karen <laughs> away with Sunbridge. Yeah, I am so sure. The fact that they then say the only road in or out, there is no phone signal, and then they play Spirit in the fucking sky. I was like, are you kidding me? This is the Heaven Bridge from the season 15 finale, the very end of the fucking series. Like, it is the last scene of the show is on that motherfucking bridge. 
And I could not believe it. I was like, the Sarah Gamble Wonkon is so <laughs> pervasive oh at this point. This is the first evidence that the Sarah Gamble Wonkon goes all the way to season 15. Yeah. After Sarah Gamble left, had already left the show. In season 7. <laughs> Insane. I was sitting on my couch going, you have to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> but no, I swear to God, if anyone wants to go and like fact check me on this, please God do. But I swear it is, I would recognize that bridge with my eyes closed. And here's the thing. I'm so glad that I noticed this because it reminded me of a thing that I forgot to tell you that is also part of the Sarah Gamble long con. Ooh. Okay. So right back in Houses of the Holy, right? Yeah. Where the Sarah Gamble long con joke originated, mm-hmm. there yeah. is a scene and I said in our episode, that I was, I was trying to explain it without telling you what was happening. Yeah. And I basically said that there is a point when Sam gestures in a certain way and it is hilarious retrospective foreshadowing. What happens is Sam is pointing, I believe, at a stained glass window or a painting and he says to the other character, is that Michael? But the shot shows him pointing literally at Dean. He is literally, he's pointing at the picture, but the shot doesn't show the picture. It just shows Sam and Dean and Sam is pointing at Dean while he goes, is that Michael, father? It is so insane. Because it is Michael. It is Michael in both instances. Sarah Gamble Long Con. Sarah Gamble Long Con. I... <laughs> I'm going to get up the screen cap so I can show you, but continue. When we originally... Well, when I originally said like, oh, well, like this is the Sarah Gamble Long Con, it was a joke. It was a joke just because she had two episodes that really heavily revolved around like religion and angels and that sort of stuff. And it's like, oh, at this point, it's a trend. Like, it's not just like a once-off Like, they're both weirdly accurate foreshadowing considering they hadn't planned ahead. And it was, like, it was solely, like, we had had no other episodes up to that point that were, like, foreshadowing angels. Except for the ones written by Sarah Gamble. Yeah. So I made it as a joke. Uh Uh-huh. And now... I know. It's it's, so funny. It's like me with Nate's dumb hats. Like, it's so pervasive. It's everywhere. And every time we think, no, this couldn't possibly be... It just keeps getting better. Honestly, I didn't realize, like, when you made the joke, I was like, oh, yeah, this is funny. This is insane. Like, I think you've actually gotten to, <laughs> you've cracked onto something. But, okay, so I found the screen cap from the episode. The actual quote is, father, that's Michael Wright, with Sam pointing literally directly at Dean. And then the father responds, the Archangel Michael with the flaming sword, the fighter of demons, holy force against evil. And this is the image. I'm sorry, did they just refer to him as a flaming sword? Yeah. <laughs> A little bit like a flaming homosexual. Just a tad, just a smidge. But yeah, so look, I just wanted to really point out that it may not have felt like the Sarah Gamble long con was really there this episode, but I promise you it was there in ways even I wasn't expecting. <laughs> it is insane. I know. When I said it, it was like I was like, oh yeah, this is just a coincidence. It's starting to not feel like Like a coincidence. coincidence. It's starting to feel like Sarah Gamble made a motherfucking demon deal to ensure (laughs) that her plotline that she wanted for the show would come to pass. Was realised, yeah. Like, even, like, down to the fucking choice of Spirit in the Sky as the music that's playing. Like, I just... The brain worms, they're feasting right now. (laughs) I have a couple of points that I quickly want to point out. First of all... The little back and forth that Sam and Dean have where Sam's like, you don't want me going out there. And Dean's like, I didn't say that. I was like, oh my God, for a moment, I saw season one Dean. Like, 
just just for a moment, just a glimpse, I was like, that's season one, Dean. That's not season four, Dean, in that moment. It really threw me back to like, what's it called? The one with the first one with the ghost faces. Oh, Hell House. Hell House, thank you. I, all I could think was Hill House, the Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really threw me back to Hell House and sort of that like cocky kind of like attitude. I thought it was very fun. It also kind of throws me back to Bugs when Dean's like, well, you're going to go in the hole. like, And they're like, yeah. the back and forth about who's going to... Rock, paper, scissors or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, exactly. Same vibe. I also wanted to point out that Dean chooses to leave Sam where he is in favour of helping the civilians. Like, because when Ellen comes back without Sam, Dean immediately is like, right, everyone stay here. Like, I'm going to go and I'll be back. And then he like gets to the door and he stops and he reconsiders. He turns around. He's like, right, we need a plan. Tell me everything. And Anti-John Coded. Stopping and not just operating on base instinct, actually mm-hmm. stopping and considering, is this the best plan of action? I need to prioritize something other than... Yeah, prioritize something other than his, like, one focused goal. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really interesting because I, I'm And understanding sure... that focusing on the larger picture will mean that that one focused goal will be achieved because you actually considered it and thought it through and made a plan. And I think it's interesting, again, like I mentioned briefly before, like Dean's like leadership style. And I think that this is like a point where it's like, it's a significant moment for him. Like it's a pivotal moment. I think this is the first time, at least in the series, where we have seen Dean put aside Sam's best interest in terms of his physical safety to focus on something else. And like comparatively, like if you think about through season two or whatever, like when they've got all this stuff going on with like the threat of like the the special children or like whatever or whatever. Dean's only focus is Sam. It's a really interesting rework of like Dean's priorities pyramid. Throughout the show up to this point, his priorities pyramid has been Sam, mm-hmm. John, everybody else, himself. Top to bottom, mm-hmm. Sam is up the top of that pyramid. Yeah. Dean has now moved everyone else above Sam and sort of pushed Sam, John and himself down further even down. further. It is really interesting and I think that it is quite a significant choice for him and his development. And it also ties into like the end of the episode when he says to Sam, like, yeah, I think we should take a break and go our separate ways for a bit because I can't do my job properly if I'm spending the entire time worrying about you. And I think that that's valid, but I also think that it's pretty established at this point, at least for the audience, that every time they split up, it's a bad idea. Mm. And like, I said to you before, I think back in like season one or two, actually I think it was season one, when like every sort of season or so they have an episode where they basically go, we're better off alone, like we'll go our separate ways, there's like a melodramatic moment I feel like that might have been in Scarecrow. Yeah, I think so as well. And then they inevitably come back together because one, the show doesn't work otherwise, but two, because they inevitably realise, no, we're better off working together as a team. Like even with like the difficulties that we have, like ultimately we're better off, we're stronger together rather than apart. And this is an on and off discussion that they have literally forever. Like it never fully ends. It's always like a a certain source of tension. But I think that this particular instance is relatively significant because yeah, you're right. Like it is, you literally get to see Dean's priorities shift Mm -hmm. um, in real time, which is super interesting. I want to do a quick shout out to the line, in my experience, demons come at you slower when they're in a body with no limbs. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. I also want to shout out the line, um, this isn't the X-Files, pal. Yeah. Which is hilarious <laughs> considering they literally pitched the show as like the X-Files. Yes. I also thought that was hilarious. I also wanted to very quickly just mention 
first of all, the ex-military guy in this episode who immediately recognises Dean as an ex-military guy. Also, he asks Dean where he's selling, and Dean's like, hell. And then he's like, haha, no, really. And Dean's like, no, really, hell. And I'm kind of like, I get what he's saying, but I'm also kind of like, you aren't a soldier there, though. Like, that's not where you served as a soldier. Like, I don't think, like, I get the point, but I'm also like, I don't think you're technically correct. Like, you were committing war crimes, but you weren't. (laughs) Like, I just watched a show where a character pretends to be pregnant, and they obviously don't know anything about being pregnant. And so when they asked how, like, how how long they've been pregnant, like, how Mm -hmm. far along they are, they go, 14 months. The other lady goes... Ha ha ha, yeah, sometimes it feels like that. Yeah. I was expecting, like, almost the same result, like, response of, like, oh, yeah, you served in hell. Like, yeah, I, I get that. Like, sometimes yeah. it does feel like you're serving in hell. Yeah, I mean, he kind of does, because like, he's like, oh, yeah, haha, but, like, no, really. And then, like, when Dean doubles down, I was like, I mean, I guess. But, like, I would argue that you weren't serving a military purpose it's in hell. Like, like, for me, it's more like when his time in hell is more like when he's, like, a prisoner of war. Exactly. But I do like the little bit of like takes one to know one and you can really see like the paramilitary training that like John raised them with like you can see that in that moment the only other thing that I wanted to touch on was Sam making the point of like after everything you don't think I've learned my lesson and Dean goes well have you and Sam's response is to bodily shove him against a wall and I'm like wow Sam what a great fucking way to convince him that you're cool calm and collected enough to go out there with all the demons and their tasty tasty blood like what just gets me there is we have established at this point that no, Sam does not learn his lesson. Mm. We have entire episodes devoted to that exact concept. Sam refuses to learn. Sam does not like taking orders. Like, he just doesn't. If someone says, hey, don't do this thing, he immediately wants to do the thing. It's a so- statement <laughs> of bloody mystery spot. Exactly. Like, and I'm really sure the trickster, the angel, would be really disappointed <laughs> to know that he's still in denial about his learning skills. Oh, God. I just, I love Sam. He is such a fascinating character and such a fun character. He really is psychotic. Like, he really is. In like, and I mean that in such an affectionate way. But he's a Psychopath. lunatic. Affectionate. Yeah, genuinely. Like, he is crazy. I love him to bits and pieces. He scares me. <laughs> anyway. That is everything that I wanted to talk about in this week's episode. Did you have any final thoughts or any other little bits that you wanted to No, I think on? I'm all done. I think I'm all tapped out. I think I've made all the points that I wanted to make about this episode. Okay, beautiful. In that case, that brings us to the end of our episode. So, Jamie, how would you rate this week's episode, Good God Y'all, out of five? I think I'm going to give it a three and a half. Okay. It's only worth a three, mm-hmm. but we get Ellen and Johnny. So it gets an extra half a point. I do like that. Okay, cool. The next episode is called Free to Be You and Me. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, opinions, fears, hopes, dreams? It just sounds like it's an after-school special PSA where it's like, it's okay to be gay. Yeah. But like, that that's all I'm getting. Okay, I can 100% see where you're coming from. Sort of tangentially related to that, do we think that Cass will be present in next week's episode? No. No. Because he's off finding God. Okay. It seems weird if they're like, oh, we're setting up him as going to find God. And it's like, he literally returns the next episode. It's like, I feel like we're going to be missing him for like maybe two or three episodes okay. as he's on his quest to find God. All right. That's a fair And assessment. then when he comes back, it will be with either like, I can't find God or I did find God or... Some sort of further information one yes. way or the other. Okay, cool. 
that brings us to the very end of our episode. Thank you everyone so much for listening. Hopefully we will have you back next week for Free to Be You and Me, an episode that I am very, very excited to cover. If you wanted to interact with us for any other reason outside of listening to us waffle on in your ears for an hour or so every week, you can always find us at the link tree below on any of our social media. Some possible topics of conversation could include... Ooh, what other Sarah Gamble long con evidence you do have? Yes. Oh my Obviously, God. Obviously, only share it with me if it's non-spoilery. Mm-hmm. Or like, but otherwise you can tell Beth and she can then cite it when we get to those episodes. Honestly, at this point, I am like partially inclined to like write an actual essay of analysis of this because I'm like we could really prove a point here like completely unbased and subjective however yeah. I do think we could does really anyone push possibly it. have like Sarah Gamble's email address where yeah. we can email her a strongly worded letter should we like, add her on Twitter <laughs> I am also really interested to know people's opinions on the horsemen. Like, obviously, we can't have any spoilery stuff because Jamie hasn't met them yet. But I would love to know a ranking of your, like, how you rank them in terms of, like, favorite to least favorite. Ooh, top what one, jello I shot flavors are they? Yeah, assign them a jello shot flavor. Honestly, I would love to know people's opinions. Do you agree with me about the pickle thing? Or do you prefer Jamie's lime analogy? Because I actually think that's pretty solid. I know my ranking of favourite horsemen and I'm going to reserve that until Jamie and I can talk about Mm. all of them together and we can compare rankings of infinite beings of unknown apocalyptic power but no Pestilence should be blue raspberry oh the most confusing flavour yeah and because it shouldn't exist yeah (laughs) anyway thank you again so much for listening hopefully you had as much fun listening as we have recording today and hopefully we will have you back next week Bye. bye